0: You are listening to the Talking Tough podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. (laughs) And we arrived here on Talking Tough. I think we had an extra couple moments of silence I was just uh, admiring how good looking everybody is today. Sean is so good looking that his name is now changed to Sugar. And I thought we'd point that out for our audience.
1: <laughs> oh, look at shoes. There, there we go.
0: Butterbean's got a new shirt. What's up, boys? Boss is closer to camera than ever, look, looking like uh, El Wapo, as we all know him. And uh, glad <laughs> uh, we, we have a, yet another extraordinarily good looking bald man on with us today. But we'll come to that in a little bit when we. Uh, Welcome our friend Kurt Engel in just a, a few short minutes from now. So, guys, um, it, it's another week. And real quickly, in addition to my techno connectivity nightmares, which I know you guys will help me through if they happen, um, I'm, I'm struggling this week, man. It's been three years since I got my life back together, I would call it, you know, from it left the depression and the homelessness and the addiction and all the pain behind. And now here I am i my 60th birthday, and I'm beating up on myself because my health is not good, and I know it's not good, and I'm not doing anything about it. And every time one of our friends dies, Butterbean, Tom Howard says to me, Rick, I can't believe you're still alive. And you know what? He's right, but I'm not doing anything about it. I need to take responsibility, and that's my thing for the week. So someone else, go ahead, please. Sean.
2: Yeah, I just I want to apologize, first of all, Rick. I've been traveling since 5 a.m. I just got here to Orlando, Florida. So I haven't been able to acknowledge the emails you were sending. I just got online two seconds ago here for the Mr. Olympia weekend, of course. And as soon as we got on the ground, I mean, Bass, Butterbean, you might have experienced this too. uh, I'm excited. It's the Olympia weekend. This is what I live for, right? It started in 1965. And that's the year I was born. And I get off the plane and one of our athletes has died Uh, two days before he's scheduled to compete. George Peterson, who one year ago, I was interviewing him after he won the Tampa Pro 212-pound bodybuilder out of New York. Um, His trainer came into his hotel room after watching the amateurs, and he wasn't answering his door. And he walked into the room. The guy's dead on his bed. Um, They're suspecting that it's a heart attack, dehydration. Who the hell knows? But to kick off the Olympia weekend that way is just a horrific way to get started Considering I've never missed the Olympia since 1988, consecutive years either being in it, sponsoring it, emceeing it, and uh, this year I'm actually doing the pay per view. But uh, I came into that news and uh, ran up here and tried to get logged on because of the you know time zone differences it was kind of rough to sit, stay up to what you were saying on the emails. But in, in terms of uh, feeling where you're at, Rick, I mean, listen, you have only one life, and you're you pretty much are in control of how you live it. Uh, I've decided. Every opportunity I get, man, I'm going to embrace it. Um, doing the things I love doing that I just kept procrastinating on. I went to my very first Monday night football game last or two weeks ago in Green Bay. I went last yesterday. Yesterday? When was Monday night football? Whenever, Two days ago. I went and watched the Raiders and the Chargers. I was just taking it for granted because I was a big football fan and a freak, and I just never went. And now I'm at that place where if I have the chance to do something, I'm going to do it.
0: I recommend. I, I have a you know, feeling, guys, this week, I have feeling this week we're going to be talking a bit about uh, taking charge of our lives. It seems to be the theme here already. Yeah. Um, boss, what's going on with you, man? Nothing much. The most exciting thing happened on Monday. I went
3: to see uh, Shang-Chi. Woo! The Legend of the Ten Rings, the movie with my daughters. And I have to say, it was a real fun movie. So, of course, t- teaching classes at the gym and still working on my O2 trainer deal, which is going to look like Friday the colors come in. So next week, hopefully, we can start producing. But that's uh, that's been my life for the last 10 months. These guys are only 10 months late.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, boss, good for, good for you, though, man. I know that's been a big source of frustration, definitely. Yeah, and, and hey, by, by the cool. way, cool. you go first.
4: You know, I'm kind of with you, Rick. I'm kind of struggling right now with the, my health and whatnot. I'm trying to get my back to, and hips to work right. They're not working like I want them to, and it's just pissing me off. I mean, I'm doing everything I can to – like I said, when you get a hold of your buddy to do the yoga stuff, and I need to get get a hold of him pretty soon.
0: Yeah, We're going to – I think uh, we've got some – boss, go ahead, please. Wisdom. Yeah, please. no, but I
3: want to say. I was just, that, that news that I heard from the bare- bare-knuckle FC, you know, that guy who passed away, did you hear that? So, because mm-hmm. Sean was telling this story. And I go, like, this bare-knuckle boxer, you know, passes away after a fight. So that's the first death in bare-knuckle boxing. It's a hard one. And then I go, you know, let's do some homework on the guy. And I look at him, and he's got uh, 17 or 18 losses from 11 wow. knockouts losses. And I go, man, why was yeah. no... People saying, you know, maybe this is not a sport for you. You know, it's it's a little dangerous. Once you get knocked out after five times, I go like, you got to It's simply not healthy yeah. anymore. Look at this now. It probably leaves behind the family. What a nightmare, man. His parents. I mean, it's really sad when you hear that.
4: I blame the commissions. It's like when they let Holyfield fight again. The commission should, should start watching. Like the, back when I was fighting, I had to go because I was big. I had to go through all kind of extra tests. And they were hard as hell on me. If you asked Rick back when I was supposed to fight Tank, they, they made me and him do tests that none of the other fighters had to do, and we aced them. But now they're letting yeah. fighters like that slide through the crack.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think it was different with Holyfield because that was an exhibition, right? It wasn't an actual fight That was sanctioned. So. No, it
4: was, it was a sanctioned fight. The commission wouldn't let it go on in California. That's why they moved it to Florida for as the exhibition.
0: Wow. Yeah, guys, I think, um, you know, it's funny as and, and, and guys, please, this is not an offer to get political. I know we don't do this, but I think when there's all these talks about the world's sometimes being too controlled or getting more controlled, it seems to me like the things where there should be more care given, we're losing sight of. And it seems maybe I'm just in a bummed out mood this week. I like to be Mr. Positive. I think you know that. But, um, man, there's just there's too much SHIT falling around us. And uh, maybe we need to don our superhero capes tonight and do what we can to uh, inspire out there while everybody is going through it. That's what I want to try to do. I'm going to turn this around, Bean. Let's do it. I need I
4: need as much motivation I can get, too, let me tell you.
0: What's we're, getting a, oh guys, we're, getting, uh, we're getting the bald comments already. Um, can Can somebody out there please contact Gillette and tell them we're looking for an endorsement deal? And uh, we haven't gotten Kurt Angle on yet. Kurt's like <laughs> Kurt's like bolder than all of us. It's that's even possible. So this is going to be amazing when he comes up on the screen. That's <laughs> going to be great.
3: Very oh, good man. looking. I was good looking with hair too, but you know
0: I decided to shave it off. Just saying. <laughs> That's great. And Sean Ray, are you still with us? Or are you napping? He's frozen. <laughs> I thought he went into a Buddha like trance. That's yeah. <laughs> That is fantastic. Oh, lost thought, him. But uh, he will be back. Rachel, our producer was telling us that um, we're telling me that Sean just got to his hotel room. I think you heard that. So he's probably um, just working with the connectivity. And I'm sure he'll be uh, with us in, in just a moment. Uh, <laughs> I see that. Get head blade. Do it. Head blade.
4: Kirk.
0: Yeah, Kurt's yeah. going to be fun. You know, <laughs> I, I think I think the thing with Kurt Angle, the thing, I, I think he'll not only be fun because he's like definitely one of the more entertaining and interesting characters out there in this world and in, in our world, but the kind of stuff that we like to dive into deep sometimes, boss, you and I and Bean, you know, we, we get into what's happening here. Kurt has been through it also, man. I don't know what he's going to want to talk about tonight in that regard. But, you know, I think if we step around it, we can get him into it. And And I love that about a Kurt. He's like such a multi dimensional guy. Just like big, larger-than-life entertainer that millions of people know and love. And then he's also just so real and has been so through it and come out that other side, the proverbial other side. So that's going to be amazing.
3: I think so, too. I think we're going to have a great little guest
0: there. He's going to... Yeah, the, the stories from him got to be crazy No no doubt I actually I'm gonna have a funny Kurt Angle story. I didn't think about it till this very moment that I'm gonna tell Kurt and it'll either probably annoy him or embarrass him or maybe all of the above but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes man
4: what do you guys think about the wilder
3: fury fight? I love it. I think that the fury's gonna get him. I hope so.
0: Being
4: you're the expert, man. You're the world.
1: world.
4: Fury Fury's a tough guy. He's the real deal. I think.
3: I think so too. I love him, and I love his attitude. I love everything about him. I mean, he's outspoken. Does whatever he wants. Starts singing a love song to his wife in the middle of the ring suddenly. See, and and it's the same as you with you and your wife. They they well, he a little later. I think they were sixteen or seventeen already when they got married. You know, they they know each other for a
0: long time as well. He's uh, yeah. I'm really. I mean, really liking him. I look forward to it. And I have to say, this is probably casting stones at boxing in general. I don't really like boxing that much anymore. And this is one of the few I'm really looking forward to seeing. I think they've got two great competitors. They're doing a fantastic job of promoting it and making us want to see it. So uh I can't hardly wait. And that's this weekend, right?
4: It should be I tell you what, Wilder's, Wilder's got a lot, you know, a lot to lose, so he might. I think he's underdog in it, but he could pull it off. I mean, if he comes with all his heart, he's got the capability to do it, though.
3: He's got a big punch. But, you know, last time it was so crazy. You remember when he went down, no movement, and then he got resurrected, Fury, and then he wins the fight. The guy is never out of a fight, man. uh,
0: I will say one
4: thing about this fight. It's one to watch. Unlike a lot of the heavyweight fights, I, I believe this is one fight to watch.
0: Hey, I Bean, so. I, I just thought of something I've never asked you in all the years I've known you, and I've not seen this question come up for you. Why did you not enter the 15-round game or the 12-round game or whatever we call it and, and take a shot at the World Heavyweight Championship?
4: Well, I went 10 with Holmes. The money wasn't there, to be honest with you, and nobody would fight me that was that would put me up in the rankings.
0: Okay. All right. I mean, I knew there had to be a good reason for it. I, I know it's definitely not you not wanting to do it or your lack of competitiveness, because I know you have that. But I, I just never thought to ask you why before, and that makes perfect sense.
4: I went, I went 10 rounds of homes to prove that I could do it to everybody. Other than that, the money they just wouldn't. I was getting paid the same amount as fighting 10 or 15 rounds. Yeah. So yeah. I guess I got content in making that kind of money.
1: Yeah.
0: Who was the Who was a dominant heavyweight champion for most of the time at the peak of your career? Who was the guy? Had it been
4: Holyfield
0: at that time. Now, when you.
4: Tyson Tyson, Holyfield, Mm. them too. Okay.
0: So when you watched, and it put you on the spot, when you watched Holyfield and Tyson in their prime, did you ever picture what it'd be like for you to be in there with those guys? And what did that look like?
4: Now, Holyfield, I I never wanted to fight Holyfield. He's too much of a boxer. But Tyson, I always wanted to fight. I'd fight him 10, 12 rounds. I would have no problem with that. Because Lost. I know when you'd come to punch, you wouldn't try to box and outrun me and move and dodge. And Tyson would be right there.
0: Boss, why do I think that no way Butterbean versus Mike Tyson was going 12 rounds, no matter who won?
3: Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, it's not going. You're both big punches, you know? It's like whoever lands a clean shot. I mean, that could be trouble. You yeah.
4: Know but I, mean? I don't
0: be... Tyson has. Right. No. That's a point. no. That's a point. Uh, <laughs> well, we're going to have to get the um, the um one of the video game makers to put the uh, fantasy fight together. It would be fun to see it that way. That's for sure. Let's do it. So, Guys, I think we're at that time. Like, now, Sean, we lost because of uh, connection issues. Um, to Rachel and John who are out there, I don't know if this is our producers, of course. I don't know if it's even possible. Is it possible to patch in a phone line on StreamYard? And if it is, if we could have Sean on, even just in voice, it'd be better than nothing at all. So, Rachel, John, if that's possible, let's see if we can get him. And if not, then I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just asking. Just a thought. So this is where Sean was going to explain to our audience how talking tough works and, and what it is. And uh, I'm already tired of hearing myself talk. So Boston Bean, what's talking tough?
4: To what talking is move Yeah. Us guys, we're, we're kind of bonded. I mean, already, and just talking about our lives and things that's happened in the past. Um, and, and what we went through to get to where we're at and our struggles, and I still have struggles. Like I said, I'm working on, on back and hip problems, trying to, to move forward, to get, you know, more motivated and and moving and moving around better. Um, just, just us being real people and and talking about life. That's what it is to me.
3: Yep. It really is. I'm, I'm 100% with you. It's what people always see when they see you on TV. They just see a little glimpse of you, you know, it's like, uh, When they talk about change, you know, they're going to go, these guys were doing all day long. No, they did little things once a while. That's what you're doing. That's the same with fighters. I would say with any athlete, but any person, you know, what you see on TV is not what you get. You know, there's always a backstory. Everybody has a problem. Everybody has advice. Everybody's afraid of something. You know, we all have the same. And this is kind of cool because now people are going to realize, wait a minute, these guys went down. I mean, me with my OxyContin problem, I mean, uh, alcohol I mean, I went through everything as well, just like a lot of other um, athletes, I would say, because we were talking about it last time uh, with JBL, you know, it's one of these things that you don't have the high anymore from competing or from working out for that matter. I really love to work out all the time, which I can't do right now. And you start to replace that with something. And most of the time, yeah, for guys with addictive personalities, that's a big problem. And they got it. So you have to fix it, you know, but because you have those struggles and we're here to tell the people that we had those struggles as well because to them some of them they go like oh my god he looks like a tank he can do this he can do that dude well we're just human we have our insecurities everybody has them you know and this is for you to hear that we have them as well so that hopefully if somebody is in the same problem that we have or that we were sharing for instance the oxycontin story i was
0: talking about hopefully it can help somebody and if it's only one person we help the person and that's what it's all about and, and boss, I mean, I'm getting, I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting tons of messages throughout the week um, on Facebook, on, uh, on Instagram, um, sometimes by text and talking about exactly what you and Bean are touching on, how much people appreciate that, you know, that you and Eric and Sean are willing to open up and talk like that. Because you know, from, from the average person's perspective, which would be mine, you know, you're looking at three absolute icons of their fields. Sean, who's back, I'm happy to see from bodybuilding and boss from mixed martial arts, of course, and Butterbean from boxing. And I think people see you guys. They just expect all these like not only larger than life, but maybe like even bragging kind of stories. And you, you guys are super fun to talk with. And, and I love asking about what you did, you know, in the cage, on the stage, in the ring, whatever it may be. But what I really appreciate about appreciate about this is you guys are so open. And I think that what makes talking tough. Uh, what it is, and, and what I think it's going to become, which is an influential show for a lot of people. That's the goal. That's my goal, anyway. Sean, what's what's talking tough been for you, man? So far, you're you're kind of new to uh, to our happy crew of uh, old bald guys here, and uh, well, we've talked about it a little bit. How about you, man? What's it been like for you?
2: Well, it's interesting. Such a, a diverse, dynamic group of guys. I mean, I watched. The king of the four rounders, butterbean do his shit. And Bob's been a badass his whole life. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's humanizing because uh, most people look at us as uh, impenetrable, right? They see the work we do and think that we don't have, uh, have to get a bed and put our shoes on and our pants on one at a time. Uh, we, we battle demons as well. We witness death, um, we have financial hardships. And uh, challenges that are outside of our profession and things that we can't control. And we hear it from your brothers uh, in different walks of life. It kind of, it definitely humanizes it. It makes it seem, uh, you know, we're not all on this path by ourselves I and we're all going through stuff and we all battle demons and we've got to overcome some things. Of course, being a super high uh, athlete that works at a different level than the normal person, sometimes we're able to overcome those. Uh, Challenges, and other times we go right down into the abyss. I mean, you see some guys that were super great go all the way down and and they got to kiss rock bottom and come back up. And those are great stories when they come back up. But on the way down, it's tough. And and it is a transition for guys like us when we're not in the limelight, you know, the roar of the crowd and standing on the stage and, you know, doing what we do best. We're out of our element now. So I think with with our age all being kind of close to the same, it's nice to hear – that we try to give back. I know Butterbean loves meeting the fans. And uh, I, I know that uh, Boss loves teaching athletes the same things that he has. And, and I love paying it forward too. I mean, we're all at that age now. We're not taking the blows. Uh, and I, I'm trying to empty myself with all the wisdom and all the knowledge on that next generation coming back. So that keeps me on the straight and narrow, just kind of trying to give back as much as I can because I can't take it with me.
0: You know, I've, I've got a question for whatever one of the three of you wants to answer this. And it's based off something Sean just said. So I, I get that you, you guys at one way or another must have looked at yourselves in life as Superman because people hold you up that way. As Sean just said, you, they think of you in a certain manner. And because of that, as Sean also pointed out, because you have that training, that discipline, sometimes you can come out of it stronger, more faster. But when you don't, when that challenge becomes too much for you to address at that moment and put it away the way you would like to, do you think because of the higher standards you've developed for yourself that it becomes harder for you? Do you, do you, do you become harder on yourself than the average person would? And what's that like? What's it Eric?
4: No. Yeah, I, I kind of push myself harder than I try than most people would because I think that people think because I've done it in the past I can do it again.
1: Yeah.
4: But like I said, I'm struggling with you know getting around more. I mean I don't know if y'all are know right now. Like I ain't even told y'all much, but I'm I'm like really hard getting around right now because of my hip. I got to have hip surgery, but I got to lose some more weight before I have it. So I actually have to use a scooter chair sometimes to get around. So I mean, it's it's a really struggling me right now because it brings me down because I can't get up and go where I want to and you know I'm, I get around pretty good with a cane right now where I wasn't able to get around any with a cane. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a struggle right now trying to just push myself and to be able to do it because I am in a lot of pain from it.
0: And do you and so do you find that that does that like pull you down more, you know, more so mentally than it would most people? Do you think because? Cause you're butterbean after all exactly. you're supposed to be able to like leap over tall buildings
4: yeah it's almost embarrassing because i mean he was like why are you using that chair because <laughs> I, like, I got a real bad hip and it's a long distance from point a to b mm-hmm. i mean people don't think before they say something i guess
3: yeah i had that with my when my neck happened you know like i probably said it you know, i was able to do nine one on pull-ups i was really freaking strong and then going suddenly from that, not to be able to pull a trigger from a gun or grab a, the milk out of the fridge, that was a mental that hit me really hard. It was like almost like I was I lost my confidence, you know. And I go, okay, wait, but wait, everybody else does that. I start training the other stuff, you know. Start training more with the left and the kicks and the head headbutts, and now start adding more crazy stuff. For because what if a fight breaks out on the street? You know, we're always thinking like that, especially if you're a fighter, you know. So, but yeah. then I once I've got my hand back, at least. You know, I can grab again, I can do things, I use chopsticks again. That helped me a lot. But normally, when people think, like, I was never really 100% secure. I was when I would fight, but not before. I would always think that my partner or my opponent would train harder than me. And so, but that made me push all the time, push all the time. So, it was more of an insecurity that made me train extremely hard because I just wanted to make sure I was not going to run out of gas. I was just train harder than the other guy, you know? So like I said, we all have our insecurities, but then once you do that and you use that, and you're in perfect shape. Yeah. Then you go to a fight. It's like doing a movie and you don't know the text. You don't know your script. That's the worst thing that can happen is if you have to open a show, but if you can dream it, Oh, that takes all the pressure off. And now it's much easier public speaking. I'm doing that as well. You know, it's also these big talks, but once you really grind them in, that takes so much pressure away. So preparation is the key. But most of the time, their preparation
0: comes from an insecurity. Yeah. I know. there's so much I, I want to say on this, and I'm going to remember this. I think we may have had a miscommunication with Kurt on what time he was scheduled to be on. So let, let's mess with the format again like we do every week, which is completely fine, because we all know how to roll with the punches, right, yeah. literally and figuratively. And let's <laughs> – Boss, you got the movement still, man. You always will. That's beautiful. Uh, well, what, how, how do we introduce him? This, this is a man who has uh, absolutely been to the top of the mountain, an Olympic gold medalist. There's not many of those that ever walked this planet. That, that alone is almost enough of a story. But on top of that, a, a best-selling author, leader of one of the top-ranking podcasts out there, a multi-time WWE champion, I know, and he's publicized. He's also been to the other side, and we'll see if we can get our gentle, our our friend, to talk about that. Let's just say, without any further delay, let's bring on our friend, the champion, Kurt Angle. How you doing, guys? <laughs> Greg, you told me <laughs> ten to
1: ten thirty, brother. Well, I, I thought I told you ten thirty
0: to, to eleven. Are you sure? Oh no. Uh, I thought I thought I said- told you ten thirty to eleven. No, hey Kurt, how are 10 to you, man?
1: 30 Rick. <laughs> All right. well, here, here done done. i here. you are. Soccer game. I have to go at
0: 10:40. All right. Well, oh whoa. no. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. All right. Well, I Kurt. I
1: will be very thoroughly
4: for you.
0: <laughs> Kurt, so how it's, are good. it's good. It's good to see you, Kurt, man. You know Me you too. Sorry. Sorry to have you hanging out for so long. So you've you probably heard what we're talking about. Um, you know, you're, you're a master at this stuff. We only have you for a few minutes. I'm sure we have a million questions, but why don't you dive in and give us some of your thoughts that you that, on your mind after you
1: heard what we're talking about here? Well, you know, uh, I, we all have struggles. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how great you are or how not great you are. Uh, everybody goes through challenges and uh, I really went through a difficult challenge the past two years with this pandemic. I went through a major depression. um my body shut down because I became inactive. Uh, I went from being a fifty two year old man to a seventy five year old man in like a few months. and I had to reprogram myself and get back into training and uh, make myself more active. and I'm getting better and better. but um, you know it all probably spawned from my pro wrestling career and all the injuries I attained and the painkiller addiction that I had and uh, eventually overcoming that uh, and knowing that I can't take any painkillers anymore is the toughest thing in the world for me right now. And, and do I struggle? Yes, but am I ever going to take them again? No. Wow. So,
3: and you, you, uh, the same. Uh, we were talking about it last week with the uh, JBL. Also, we all go through this. With me, was alcohol and pills as well. oxycontin. You had an alcohol? Did you have that problem as well? Because I read from oh, yeah, online that yeah. said was, you well, gotta check yourself.
1: In. The pills yeah. transferred to alcohol. You know, yeah, and I yeah, had to yeah. find a fine way. And when I quit taking the painkillers, I started drinking alcohol. And what yeah. that got me was four DUIs in five years. Oh shit. my reputation. Uh, wow. I I've been working the last eight years to gain my reputation back because uh, when you do stuff like that, you know, you're you're, you're basically ruining your life. And, yeah. uh, but you know, we have a forgiving society. So as yeah. long as you can turn your butt around and, and move forward and stay on the positive, um, you know, you're going to get accolades for it eventually.
2: Hey, Kurt, what, what were the injuries, Kurt, you were dealing with in terms of the pains, the pain was the pills. Then what was the alcohol just placing the, the pain that you were feeling when you gave up the pills or what, what were the injuries?
1: Well, the, the injuries were I, I, uh, a lot of knee injuries, back injuries, and mainly my neck. I broke my neck five separate times. And wow. uh, that, that's when I got introduced to painkillers. The second time the first time I broke my neck was before the Olympics in 1996. I actually wrestled in the Olympics with a broken neck. And wow. um, the, the next time I broke it was in 2003 in WWE, and that's when a doctor introduced me to painkillers. And uh, I liked them a little too much. I took one, and it made me feel alive. And when one didn't work anymore, you you build up a tolerance. Then I started taking two. Two turned to four. Four turned to eight. Eight turned to sixteen. Before I knew it, I was taking sixty-five extra strength Percocet a day. Are you sleeping I, I during was this on time? My I mean, way to death. Huh? I, were you sleeping? I mean, what what did the pills do? They made me feel energetic more than anything. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. you know there oh, yeah. was. It was a very trying time for me, but um, you know, when you build up a tolerance, you you want that feeling back, so you keep taking more and more, yep. and it, it never ends. I mean, if I wouldn't have quit, I would have continued on, and I probably would have died. Yeah, yep.
0: like so, like so many of our our friends have. And Kurt, you mentioned just a few minutes ago. You said you're done, and you said you said it with such conviction. Like, what what's the switch that turned? Where you know you're done. What's the big
1: catalyst? Well, you know, what what I've gone through the last couple of years and, and, um, you know, the the injuries I sustained throughout my career. um, If I haven't taken it for eight and a half years, I don't plan on taking it. You know, once it gets easier, the longer you stay clean and the more confident you get, you know. So you go six months clean. That's great. That's not really that great. But. You know, you go a year and you start feeling a little more confident and you, you believe in yourself that you can continue to stay clean. Uh, you, you you do have bad days and good days. And the bad days you want to take, but you just can't. You just, you know, you tell yourself you got to keep moving forward. You can't go back. And uh, that's what I did. I I I, I can say with conviction I will never take a painkiller again. And I, I know that's uh, – Probably not what uh, the AA people want you to say, but right. that's how I feel, and that's what I know.
2: Are you in pain, pain anymore? Is pain gone?
1: I, I want to
2: films.
0: I, I wanna echo that, Kurt. It's been, and I think Boss, I think Boss is nodding also, um, agreeing. It's been four years for me now, and mm-hmm. I have my moments still, absolutely. But if you took that jar right now, those nice little yellow-colored things we used to all covet so much, and you pour that in front of me at my lowest right now, those are going down the toilet. There's no yeah. way. So I, I hear what you're saying. And it's, it's so nice to be able to talk to people that have been there and are at this point now. And, and I think that you got Kurt Angle, everybody out there telling you this and giving you the numbers he went up to way beyond what most of us mortal men can handle, Kurt, as you know. And here you are today, man. It's so good to hear that.
2: But is the, is the pain gone, Kurt? Like, what's the pain level on 1 to 10?
1: <laughs> I wish. Is it gone? I wish it were. Um,
2: Where's that I on one a 1 to 10? I have
1: a lot of uh, uh, terrible pain in my neck and my back and my knees. I'm actually going to have MRIs done. I've had surgeries on everything. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I got injections in my knee and my back. They didn't work. So I, I've been uh, meeting with doctors and getting MRIs and x-rays to see what the next steps are. But, uh, the great thing is I started working with an ART guy and, uh, he's done phenomenal things for me. Um, you know, I, I lost everything when in this pandemic, uh, I stopped running. Um, I wasn't as active. I did lift weights a little bit, not a lot, but, um, this guy got me back into pretty good shape and, um, I'm able to do more stuff with my body. Uh, my core strength is a lot stronger now. That's what I lost. And uh, when you lose your core strength, you lose everything. You lose your balance. You lose your sense of uh, reasoning. It's, it's, it's one of those things that um, in, in your lower abdominal, where your, um, uh, your bladder is, that's your core. That's what you need to work on in order to keep your body intact. And, uh, you know, it, it actually reduces a lot of pain when you have a stronger core. And that's what I've been doing, and it's been working extremely well. I've, I've been uh, doing that. Uh, I just started again, and I posted
3: about it, and then I realized how difficult it is because on the wheel, you know, the wheel in front of you, and then you roll yeah. for like the like ab roller. I do that on my feet, and I, I showed off like 10 times, that people go like, Dude, that is crazy. But you do feel it a lot in your underbelly, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So I said, now somebody tells me to do it with one arm. I can do it on my up. knees, but I cannot do it standing yet. But I'm going to do it. You're I, I I
1: couldn't <laughs> do that, boss. I couldn't do it right now, to be honest with you. <laughs>
3: you have to be a wow. stud to
1: do that. So what did you, uh,
2: Kurt, what did you replace the wrestling with? I mean, we were talking about, you know, when boxing is over, it's over. When, when fighting's over, it's over. For me, bodybuilding is over. What did, what did you fill the void with? I know you had all the pain, the alcohol, but now what, 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 is the, what are you doing with the time that's, that's been totally vacated from wrestling?
1: Well, I, I started a supplement business called Fit, Physically Fit Nutrition. Uh, we have a great line of products. Uh, one in particular is called Chicken Snacks. Uh, they're high protein, low carbohydrate, low fat. Uh, snacks that are flavored they they're like a Chex mix texture and uh we flavor them with a bunch of excellent flavors they're doing really well and uh, i keep myself indulged in that and also my podcast every week so i also take acting classes i'm trying to get into acting do more movies uh that what i used to do in the past i kind of took a break from that for a while and it's time for me to get back into it yeah the chicken snacks is that with david hawk you work with dave Yes, yes, that's uh that's our company, physically fit. Yeah, yeah. Dave, yeah, you, Dave used you, to be a former
2: Mister USA. Guys, Dave was a like a, a Mister USA bodybuilding champion back
1: in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was a
0: scholar. Yeah, Kurt, what's the um what's the URL for your your company? We'll put it on the screen here while we have you. Your website address?
1: Uh, physicallyfit.com.
0: Physicallyfit.com. Yes. Yeah. that'll be uh, that'll be up on the screen in just a moment. And so you said two years ago, and Sean, great question, you know, because we've heard so much about, you know, what was in the past. And and I know how hard your life has been. Many of the fans have read about it. And when we communicate these days, I mean, you're like the most spot on person I know you're upbeat, you're responsive. You're obviously on your game. You have a lot going on. There's your website going across the bottom of the screen. Everybody please check out Kurt's company at physicallyfit.com. So, you're, you're happy these days. You've fulfilled Where are you out in your head?
1: Oh, I'm great. I'm happily married. I have uh, six wonderful kids. Four that live with me, two live in Tennessee. I get to see them every once in a while. But um, I'm really um, into my family, doing family things. That's the cool thing about this pandemic is it enabled me to slow down and stay at home and get to know my kids better, which I never did before. I was always traveling every week, uh, going out on the road, uh, going city to city. And now I I had the opportunity to really get to know my kids and my wife. And it, it was, it was incredibly rewarding. And, uh, I could tell you that I'm, I'm a little, uh, uh, I guess, uh, antsy about getting back on the road again. (laughs) (laughs) I've been stuck at home for a couple of years and, uh, you know, I'm good. I, I had a good time with them, and it's time for me to start moving forward.
0: So you're going to be out doing a lot of appearances again and whatnot, aren't you? I know you, you just look forward. Good. you going to make it to Hawaii by any
1: chance? Do you know? No, no, I would love to. Uh, I went to Hawaii a couple times. You know, the crazy thing is in WWE, we never stayed overnight. We always yes. flew in that day, did the show, and flew out that evening. And flew back to California. So... Uh, I'd love to, you know, that's one of my top three destinations that I'd go to vacation, so hopefully it will happen next year or the...
0: Uh-oh. Oh, we lost him shit. We lost <laughs> Kurt. Okay, hopefully <laughs> he'll come back on. Sean, Solid guy. Uh, maybe maybe in connection with the shows that you do in Hawaii, you could do something with uh with Kurt to get him out hey, here. We, we would there. love
2: to have him out there at the show. Obviously, November 20th is coming up fast, but yeah, we have stuff going on out there all the time. And now I know he's interested. I know his business partner, Dave Hawk. I'll, uh, I'll try to put something together. <laughs>
0: yeah, that would be cool. I could definitely there see he you is. guys speaking that. And he's back. Hey, Kurt, you there? Yes, yes. I don't know what happened. So, Kurt, Sean is, Um, you know, Sean's a very successful promoter these days, amongst other things. First of all, have you guys met before, Sean Ray and Kurt Angle? I,
2: I know of Kurt through uh, Dave Hawk and through the Manion gym, Jim. Uh, Tyler Mannion's a wrestler, J.M. Mannion, photographer, big on uh, Kurt. Kurt, are you from Pittsburgh, by the way?
1: Yes, yes. That's where the NPC started.
2: Yeah, so the NPC is the federation where I got my pro card. They're actually here running the Mr. Olympia this weekend. I'll make sure I tell the man you said hello. They always talk about you.
1: I haven't seen them in a while.
2: Yeah, they talk about you coming up all the time. You know, Tyler was a wrestler all those years, so J.M. Mannion kept telling me about you all the time and – uh, you know, Dave Hawk brags about you all the time. So, yeah, I know your history, bro.
1: You, you're awesome. So are you, Sean. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate and it. And we
0: were saying, Kurt, when you got out for a second, Sean is promoting these days and he does shows in Hawaii. So maybe there's something you guys so can I'm do hoping, together.
2: You, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. We'll, we're going to look at the calendar and get you on there. I'll reach out Sounds to David good. to get a
0: hold of you.
1: Hey, guys, Kurt, I'm sorry I have to go. I wish I could stay and chat for a lot longer, but I got to pick my son up. <laughs> Rick screwed <laughs> it up. We blame it on Rick. It's Dude. Rick's fault. <laughs> Jeez. Thanks for calling in, it, Kurt. Thanks. You're the best, guys. Have fun tonight. Thank you. Good
4: to
2: see you, All right. Guys. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Have
1: a Bye, guys.
2: All right. He's one of the best yeah. there was, man. Oh, yes. I was curious. I, what I was trying to get out of him was what's the pain level? I know he's in pain, but like, is it on a scale of one to 10, right? Because Ronnie Coleman, he's got a lot of pain from all the surgeries, but when you get off the pills and you stop the drinking, now you really have to deal with whatever you're dealing with. And I was just wondering on a day-to-day basis, is he walking around in a pain level of seven? I mean, that's a whole different thing.
3: You know what? But, and I tell you this, if you, the pain pills, they don't work anymore.
2: Yeah. Like once you, know. you do
3: it for a while, they, you know, actually once you stop, you have less pain than with the pain pills, the pain pills at the moment when they stop working, you're just taking them to get high. You'll feel good again because otherwise, you feel like crap. You know, it's the worst stuff. It's the worst. Even worse is what I talked about with the Suboxone, with like methadone, you know, to get off of it. Don't do that stuff for a long time because that really gets into your body and your bones. Ooh, bad stuff. So, hey, so
2: let let me ask you a quick question, boss. So, does the addiction come because you're trying to solve the problem by yourself and you're not really doing it with a professional? Like, the professional might introduce you to the pain pills but is it the individual that winds up going off the beaten path and taking more unprescribed doing his own thing instead of following yeah. the script? That's
3: a, That's our egos. You know, we think we, we can handle and We are in control. You're not in control. Once you start, like, I remember I, I wrote a nine on the mirror, you know, I was telling this on this show and I said, I'm not going to go above nine because I go like, how much from two to four, like, just like uh, you just said. And, um, and then suddenly you go over nine. And but then you, you still think you have it under control. And the, the time I I did a signing in Ohio or something, I believe, and I ran out of pills and the and the plane was late. And I had to wait like a two and a half, three hour delay. And I was out of and I was literally at the airport. I started shaking. I realized, oh my god, I'm a I'm a freaking junkie, I'm addicted. You know, I and I knew, but you never really want to know. You know, it's yeah. like you try to avoid it. And I was on the plane, I was shaking, and I go, Man, and I knew in the car. For situations like this, I would have pills. So I ran from the airport to my car and then I could take the pill. And that's when I said, okay, I got I to gotta stop this stuff because uh, this, is, this is not good. I always think this I, with, with everything I do. Um, what if a war breaks out tomorrow? Am I able to, to, to defend my family if I run out of these pills? And if the answer is no, stop them right now because you never know what's going to happen. I'm not going to say there's going to be a war out, but I always take worst case scenario. And if you take worst case scenario, then you're automatically gonna say, okay, I gotta kick it.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. Sean, it's it's a it's a nuts thing, man. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there that are listening to your question and boss's answer can, can relate. I mean, it it's a sickness for sure. And boss, you're right. There it doesn't work on pain after a short while. Sean, at that point, we're just we're chasing the high and chasing the addiction, and we're thinking we're cool. I'm sure everybody that's taken pills can relate to this. We all you have know, stories about stuff we'd have to do or, or made ourselves do to find that next prescription to find yeah. that next pill. And uh, I, it's nuts, man. It's, it's a sad, sick thing. No doubt about it. You know, what,
3: what you said, Sean, you said, how can you fight it and function on that? Are you not asleep? If you take those pills, you know, when I had that the first time in my life experience, that was when I was training Mark Kerr. And Mark Kerr has been very open, right? He was shooting New Bane. He did it on, on TV so people yeah. know about it, so I could tell about it. So I was in Japan. I was training with Mark Kerr, Pedro Hizo, and Marco Huas for the Pride Fighting Championships, and I was training and working out with them. And I had my tendonitis already at the time. And suddenly at the moment, I muscle out, and the tendonitis hits. And let me tell you, that stopped my career, that tendonitis. That, it is so painful. You start to get tears out. There's nothing you can do. You're like in complete... So, I'm going, I, I want to go to the hospital. I need to do something. And, and, and then Mark Kerr tells me, and I had no clue while Mark Kerr all the time was sweating. And I yeah. tested him because I put him on the weight scale. I say, if you gain weight, you cannot gain weight with my training. Then I know you're using rice and then you're out, you know. So I was very prominent with it, but he was always sweating. So then suddenly Mark Kerr says, Okay, don't worry about it. I got you cover bus. Let's pack up. Everybody pack up step go to the hotel. He says, Don't worry, I got it in an hotel. Now I'm in so much pain at this moment. That I go to his room and he grabs a bottle and he takes a syringe. and I knew he's going to shoot me up and I didn't care because wow. I just put it. And, and I remember him putting it, he says, Okay, in five seconds, it will be gone. And he puts it in and I go, Oof, And immediately, pain was gone, but I was, I could not function. I you had to. Tell go that. I was completely, I mean, I started sweating. I go, Oh, now I know why you're always sweating. You know, that's what I realized he was addicted to that stuff
2: this is the new bay
3: right that was, was new but and, they, new and i said how can you fight on this and he said yeah. you get used to it your body adapts and then yeah. it becomes energy and that's right because that happened to me i took like 10 80 milligrams of oxycontins a day think about that yeah. that is 80 or 100 a day 10 milligrams which yeah. would normal people take so it's, it's
0: freaking insane yeah curl Cur- Cur was an animal boss oh my gosh. Yeah. Um and and I'm not I'm not gossiping about Mark because it's all been out there for public consumption. Yep. Mark II is doing well these days. I'm really happy. What, I, I what was his movie, Rick? It was uh, The thing. Machine. The, the, what was the it? Smashing machine. machine. Amazing documentary on HBO. Bean, did you see that movie? I did. It's a great. And and you know, like like Butterbean is in the part of the country where you know what Boss is talking about is really epidemic with the new vein and the heroin and and Bean. I'm sure you. Maybe not so much in Alabama, more a little bit south of there. But is that still like a huge part of the culture out there, with all with the kids and is it getting worse and worse?
4: You know the drugs are, but I, I've i never heard of the new vein. No. I, I really haven't. And I worked with law enforcement for a while, and we never run across it.
0: That, that yeah, it's only injectable. That's interesting. That's right.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, Lots of pain pills. I mean, it's like oxycontins to everything. I mean. I knew some girls that were probably 100, 110 pounds taking them out of Oxycontin. You were, boss. Yeah. And then didn't the affect Wow.
0: Yeah. Yep. They become like machines. Well, okay. I want to I want to change the subject a little bit. I want to tell one quick funny drug story, if there's any such thing as a funny drug story. So, <laughs> boss, we're at a party with uh, in Laguna Beach with Mark Coleman, Mark Kerr, and Tom Howard. Butterbean's nemesis and good friend, Tom Howard. And it was a big mansion party in Laguna after hours, after the nightclubs closed. And this is when Mark and Mark were two of the top guys in the world. So Tom, and Tom was an animal also, probably beyond the Marks even, if that's even conceivable. And uh, all of a sudden, an ecstasy tablet comes out. And (laughs) everyone pops one. I had never taken it before. So one of the guys says, well, aren't you going to try it? Sure, why not? Right? I take one. About 15 minutes later, I said, I don't feel anything. And Tom Howard and Mark Kerr, like in sync, said, Well then take another one.
4: Uh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I do not know. So I took a second one. They actually literally had to carry me out of the party. I could not feel my legs. It was, wow. That's my funny drug story for the day. No, but that's the
2: thing about see, that's the thing about drugs. I mean, you have to remember, some people will go along with the crowd. I've never done ecstasy. I've never tried a uh, new pain. I've never done any Oxycontin. I've never done anything. It's probably because my brother was a drug addict his whole life, just two doors down in my hallway where I grew up as a child. He's dead now at 52, died in 2013. But watching what drugs do to somebody can scare you straight. Yeah. Um, and so when you're straight like that and you're around other people and they're doing those kind of drugs, my moral compass would immediately have me make the U-turn to get the hell out of the room, remove myself from the situation. Whereas I had a lot of other friends that go, yeah, it's only one. I'll try it. And the pills are so small, right? They're so yeah. small, they're like a tic-tac. So what can that do to me, right? So when I watch the change of a person that I'm with that's normal, take a little tiny little tic-tac, and a half hour later they can't walk, they can't stand, they can't speak. For me, it scared the shit out of me. I just never would do it. Good
0: That's my experience. experience. Yeah. Do, does anybody have any knowledge or experience with uh, kratom? I'm curious what you guys think about kratom. I do. I do. Bean, what's it. your take? Sean, are you familiar with kratom? No, I don't. What do, I do? Kratom is a plant from Thailand that is converted to a powder or a capsule form that is now I don't even know if you call it epidemic because it's not illegal, but mm. it's swept the country and the world. People are taking it in place of narcotics, saying it's a safe, natural way to get off or, get off narcotics. Personally, I wonder, I'm wondering what you guys think about it. Bean, what's your take on Kratom?
4: I'll be honest, I, I mean, I use it sometimes now. Okay. And and it's not really I wouldn't it helps with the pain, but it helps with hunger also. Um it it you don't get it's not like it's not like a, like a pain pill if you take a bunch of pain pills you get a like a rush from it, you don't get that, but it, it does wake you up but it, it it's more it does curb the pain and i I mean I'm in a lot of pain I mean with my hip until I have surgery, I'm in a lot of pain, so I mean it is illegal in Alabama though, so I don't take in Alabama oh oh, oh okay.
3: okay, look at you yeah no <laughs> I, I, I do that I take it also um uh, but what I realized with it is, it, it's like any other thing. It's like alcohol. It's like any other thing. You know, they say it's a very safe alternative. But, you know, guys with d- addictive personalities like I have, you know, you get used to it. And then you start taking more. And as soon as I realized I was taking more, I start building enough. So I take literally, I might take three, milli- uh, three grams a day compared to what people do 16 or 18. You see, and I also realized this once you start toning down again. Then the pain go. actually, it helps for the pain again. A friend of mine who has gout, and he's in incredible pain, and he goes, taking more and more and more. I go, he says, what do you do? I say, take less. I say, take less. I promise you, within a week, you will have less pain. And he called me, he goes, dude, it works. You know, if you take less, it works. So as long as you've got a good control over it. But if you have an addictive personality, you should stay away from it because it gives you a good feeling, just like yeah. with alcohol. And then yeah. you want to keep chasing that feeling. I
2: can tell you, a lot, of body, a lot of bodybuilders have addictive personalities, so it's a scary place to be if you do have that because there's so many different things that are just pulling you in so many different directions, not yep. just from the anabolic world but also from the painkiller side. So it's a challenge. Bodybuilding is not a place to come if you have that type of personality because you can see some very dark nights. I've seen it.
0: Oh, yeah. Sean, oh, wait, weird. you're saying bodybuilders are extreme? Whoever would have guessed, man. <laughs> <laughs> we are we're on a whole nother level when it comes to doing stuff that people would never dream of doing
2: to look a certain way, you know, short of surgery. I could only imagine. I, my,
4: my addiction was never really drugs. Not that I didn't do them. I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, my addiction was sex. Mm. I mean, I had a sex addiction that was crazy. I mean, my wife knows about it. So, I mean, it's like I can talk about it freely, but it was bad. I mean, that's – and I've overcome that. I mean, kind of like boss, you just got to quit doing it. Yep. Extra. <laughs> the the extra question is
3: where
2: – the question was, uh, the question being is where does it come from? But does it come just because it was available and it becomes part of the routine? It becomes part of the daily activity? Are you, I mean, are you chasing the challenge? Where, I've always been curious, about where does the sex addiction come from? I mean, everybody you know likes it. Why would you? you? It? Yeah,
4: well, you in school always picked on, never got a date. I mean, you know, I met young, so I mean, but it's like uh, it was more of a challenge than anything, I think.
3: Yeah. And, but it's also, what you, it's like any addiction, you know, once you feed it. You know, it becomes more and more and more. It's the same as taking pills. You need more and more and more. It's just feeding it. That's why yeah. people always say, you know, you, you know, if you talk about sinning and suffering and all that stuff, they go say, oh, we 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 suffer because we sin. I say, no, 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 it's the other way around. We 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 sin because we don't want to suffer. So for him, if he's really horny, so to say, and the girl is offering herself, for him at that moment saying no, that is actually suffering, yeah. because you're telling your body what you really want. You say no, I can't have it, because everything that pulls on you, it's an addiction. It's a vice. You know, so saying no to drinking, saying no to that. At the moment when you really want something, saying you no know, will be suffering for you.
4: But, like I said, boss, I'm, I'm proud to say, you know, I've, I've been very loyal. I mean, I ain't going out chasing it. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm good now.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think and it, it comes just, with oh, age yeah. wisdom. Age and wisdom have a way of giving you perspective of what's important, especially when you're <laughs> on the verge of losing the things that you love, right? I mean, that, yep. that's a wake up call.
3: Yep. That's a big thing. And, and you can do this with everything. This is where popping up a little uh, uh, the girl in the beginning on the, on the, on your computer screen. I don't ever pop them up anymore because I told myself, you know what, I'm not going to click on it. I always yeah. think what I think now is what would I gain by it? If I click on it, would I get smarter, mentally stronger? Do, what, what do I gain? And you're gonna realize there's nothing you can gain whatsoever. It's just a waste of time, you know. So th- once you start neglecting those, you know, suddenly they don't pop up anymore. And that's like with anything else in life. You just nope, 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 no Control. And I think when we
2: talk about control, filling that void with something else. I mean, I mean, Rick said you were you're struggling a little bit. Sometimes being alone and isolated uh, makes you can take you into a depression can also oh, yeah. take your mind places you don't want to go. So for me, uh, I take that morning piss early. I'm, I'm, out, I'm not going back to bed. I'm up. I'm going to Starbucks. I'm going to the beach. I'm getting out of my house. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. I don't want to just lay there and lose two or three hours because I can with a remote control. So surrounding myself with people, getting out inside of nature, uh, getting in the gym, doing things that get me out of bed. Uh, staying active for me is, is probably one of the reasons I'm able to ward off depression. Because you have yeah. that idle time and you're isolated, that pressure will creep in. And now you're, you're in a different type of battle. Get up and beat it. Beat that fucker. Get out and into, the, into the world and, and, and be active and surround yourself with people. Community service is a great way to, so your mind is just constantly moving. Man, oh, Sean, I, I, I.
1: Oh,
0: so man, Bean, go ahead, Butterbean.
4: Who our toughest opponent was, which I can get into it and boss get into it. But Sean, who was your biggest rival?
2: Um, it's such an individual sport. I think it's, it's different because look, I mean, everyone was trying to be Mr. Olympia and throughout my 13 years on the pro stage, there were three champions and they all won uh, 22 titles in a row. So winning the Olympia, you put it, you compartmentalize it, but it was not going down. I, it was other guys coming up every year. There was a new pro getting a pro card. So I didn't want to go down that skill. Uh, as they were coming up. So I was trying to fight off Kevin Levrone and Flex Wheeler. There wasn't one. There was always a new person. It seemed like every year because I'm the small guy. And here comes the new national champion. Here comes the new USA every single year. But in front of me, there was always this Mr. Olympia that was a steady, consistent of six foot, 250, 260, 280 with Ronnie Coleman. I was just trying to hang in there. I was like, uh, you know, just trying to hang into that top five. And, and by the grace of God, I did for my whole career – um, but Who's each Larry one of those Polick? guys, huh? Larry Pollock. Yeah. Larry Pollock was a teenager. I competed with him as a teenager in 1984. He trains people now. Good guy owns KO, KO gym out in, uh, the, the Valley out in California. But I'm telling yeah. you, my, I didn't have a single guy that I could focus on as a, as a, a number one, uh, competitor because every year it was somebody new coming up, trying to knock me out of that top five.
1: But you were the giant killer, right?
2: I was a giant killer. But my, yeah. I got my satisfaction out of knocking those guys down. But they in were, the t- huh? Yeah, they were like 40, 50 pounds heavier than you and and, and like five
3: inches taller than you. I mean, yeah. that's a big thing. But, but I also read that you pretty much beat everybody on stage at least once that you met on stage, and at least only for the three major guys like uh, Lee Haney and Dorian Yates. But that's pretty much
2: you beat everybody at least once on stage. And that's the only satisfaction I look back. I don't have that Sandow trophy uh, as number one in the world. But when I talk about it and I hear it from other people, uh, I feel like all that time, all that sweat equity was worth it because Lee Haney, the greatest bodybuilder with eight Mr. Olympias, Dorian Yates, arguably one of the better bodybuilders winning six in a row and arguably I could have beat him but I have the bragging rights that I beat Ronnie Coleman for five consecutive years before he actually won the Olympia. Um, So, so for me, I I can, I gotta, I I can rest on that. Right. Like (laughs) my battles are a little smaller.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Sean, what, what would you say is your single biggest goal in life right now? Number one Um, above all else.
2: I, I mean, I would love to be sitting at the top of this industry, which I know so well, Uh, I have a seat at the table with the bigwigs as things get shaped for the Arnold Classic, working with him and working with Jake Wood, who owns the Olympia. That's why I'm here. So I'm working with the two biggest leaders and, of course, Jim Mannion, who's the president of the Federation. But I want to be there uh, kind of making sure that every athlete that gets to this weekend that's in the top ten that's here walks away with prize money. Uh, The only way that's going to happen is from a former athlete that knows what it's like to go home with nothing – while they use your image and your likeness to promote the event, you come here and you're on the outside, number 11, number 12, number 15, and all you go home with is per diem money. It's just, it, it's, it, if that's what's going to happen, they shouldn't even be here, right? So uh, I want to make sure that everybody gets money in this, this big weekend of the Olympia. If they're not going to do it here, at some stage, my own production will create a show where everybody gets paid, and that will bring happiness to me and the athletes. So paying it forward, that's my goal. Nice. Gosh. That's Sometimes you have hope. to be the change you want to see in the world. I want to see that change. I might have to create it myself if they're not going to do it.
0: Uh, Eric, what do you hope with your biggest hope in life? And while you're thinking of that or, or answering it, I don't know if you guys can hear that horrible noise in the background, but one of my dogs has brought a bone into the house and he's smashing <laughs> it all over the floor. So I'm going to go have a <laughs> word with him. I'll be back in one second. <laughs> go be, your biggest goal, If you don't mind, please.
4: You know, I'm I'm living it right now. I mean, just right now, my biggest goal is to get up to where my hip hip will let me get up and go where I want to go when I want to go. That's right now my biggest. That's my biggest inspiration right now. Is the, what I'm working on right now the most is getting right and get up and go when I want to go.
2: What's that going to look like? Being like, what does that entail? Is it an intervention or is it something you can do on your own? Well, I'm I'm dropping weight
4: pretty rapidly so I'm still losing the weight and I gotta have hip surgery. I know that's that's what I'm gonna have to have is hip surgery. It's one I don't know if you knew for me to Dr. Andrews, but he's one of the top surgeons in the world. They had told me that my hip was one big ball of arthritis.
2: Okay. So So everything starts with after the hip surgery. it's gonna
4: yeah but I gotta lose enough weight beforehand. So I'm I'm dropping still but I just gotta lose more weight.
3: Is there anything else you can do? At least with your arms, like rowing, nothing, right? Everything includes the hip, almost.
4: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm doing the most. I mean, getting up and going when I, you know, when I can walk with a cane helps a lot. Yeah. You know, the more I can go, I'm trying crutches now, using more crutches.
3: Wow. Crazy man. Look at your friend sometimes there, you right? down,
4: Sometimes it brings you down during the day, but you know, you just got to keep going. I mean, if you don't keep going, you're just going to end up dying.
3: That's it. Yep, you got to keep on going. Yep, yeah. shooting. Otherwise, what's the use, right? To live, you get nothing. You know, there needs to be something—a what goal. You,
4: what's, what's your big goal right now, boss? For me? Yeah, I'd like to hear. I'm sure everybody. Oh, does. for me, it's
3: it's really it's it's uh, that long trading device that I did. I mean, it's doing so much good for people with COPD and asthma. Now I have pulmonologists buying. it. So for me. Once I realized suddenly that it's for anxiety, for PTSD, for back problems, I go, what the heck is going on? And then more people, all the reviews you're reading. I mean, I came up with the idea when I was 14 years old, you know, and I just decided to make it in 2011 or so. And it took a long time to get off. But now suddenly people realize, oh, it looks silly, but it's a really big power to have. And now athletes and everybody. So for me, that is everything because I invented something I thought I could make some money with. But now it's way better because you're helping a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I have actually a commercial, like I probably mentioned already. If you, if you buy for your asthma or COPD, if you use it one month, you have to do it every day, four minutes a day. If your asthma is not 70% gone or more, I'll give you your money back. That's how, posit- that's how, how I believe in it
2: mm-hmm. because
3: every single person has it. There's not one person that doesn't have it. You see, and you can read the review. So that for me is a big thing right now. That's why the last 10 months, because it's 10 months late, it's been a nightmare for me because now I can finally sell it and let the people know hey, watch, this is going to change your life. And it really does. I'm freak.
0: Where do you get really it at, Ross? Where can you get it? I, I have the last one on planet Earth right here.
2: <laughs> <Okay>.
3: I <laughs> love Twitter this it. thing.
0: Go. I'll get you one, Sean. Yeah. Is it yeah. you selling yep.
2: online? You sell it online?
3: Online. So hopefully next week is going to finally start. It will work out your core like a freaking minute. It works out your diaphragm and your intercostals. Oh. And, and, and it's like it's a whole different level. I have guys who have no apps, never could get apps. They bought the, the trainer. They are getting apps now because of the workout. Because those four minutes, you're going to feel it. It's not an easy thing. It's, you're going to really stress all those muscles out. Yeah, I Rick, love Rick, it. Quick,
2: I, Rick, I wanted I to ask think. you because I know we, did, we, did, we didn't have enough time with Kurt because he kind of had to run. But,
0: um, but what's Kurt doing now? Well, as as he mentioned, he's got a supplement company and the, and the uh, food product company that's going really really well. And he's been a good traveling. guy for like Expendables.
2: I could I'm have seen sorry? him in like the he could yeah. have been in like the movie Expendables. Like one yeah, of the new for characters. sure. He's
0: studying acting, as he said, and uh, he's doing the two together. He's getting on the road a little more, and he's you know Kurt is really happy these days, and it's really nice to talk with him. Um, you know the the story I was going to tell about him, and it's really short. At one of my wrestling shows about 2002, he was out as a guest and he wrestled Christopher Daniels for my UPW show. That was one year before he started with the pills, as he said. We were in my big, crazy, jacked up Suburban going out to TGI Fridays to eat after the show. And it was me, Kurt Angle, Bruce Pritchard from WWE, and my wife, Gabrielle, at the time. And Kid Rock comes on, uh, Devil Without a Cause. And Kurt is like, crank that up, crank it up. So we crank it up and it's the explicit version and he starts singing the, the lyrics. And then he says, Oh wait, turn that off. And he goes, Oh my God, if my wife could only hear me right now. And to, like at 2000 in 2002 singing explicit lyrics was like a sin to Kurt Engel. And then <laughs> Kurt went about as far off the crazy end as anybody in our industry. And it's just yeah. funny where he came from, where he went to, what he's come back from, so pretty cool. What, yeah. would
2: have been, what, what would have been one of his big bouts? Like, what would have been one of his signature wrestling, WWE, not Olympic wrestling, but who would have been one of his major guys? Because I missed well, the, all
0: that. Yeah, I mean, the thing with wrestling, as you know, is, you know, unlike what you do, Sean, and you work so hard to get ready for a big event, same with yeah. Butterbean, same with Bosses, you know, train, 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 compete. In wrestling, it's perform, 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 night after night, yeah. so... Kurt main evented with every major star in the world of his day. So wow. his feuds, you might say big programs, we call it, or the feuds would have been Undertaker, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, oh, he's uh, with some McBulley, big heavy
2: hitters. Shawn
0: ah. Michaels. Yeah, yeah every to top guy be. in the world he would have been in a major uh, program with. Yeah, that's a big deal. See,
4: when no, I first started wrestling, wrestling, it's like everybody said how competitive it was. I don't. It's like stage. It's like you know what's going to happen. How can that be competitive? But I realize after being around it for a little while, it's who puts on the biggest show. Mm-hmm. Who is the biggest name out there? That's a competitive part out of it because that's that's where the money's at,
0: and it's, yeah, it's and, competitive. And being you, know? you, you were a natural at that. You know, as we touched on last week, we did the show called called Hulk Hogan Celebrity Championship Wrestling. And I produced that with Hulk and Eric Bischoff. And we had um, Danny Bonaducci from the Partridge family and Todd Bridges from different strokes. <laughs> yeah. Tiffany, the pop singer. And this yeah, whole, Tiffany. A whole odd lot of people. And and Butterbean. And Frank Stallone. So, you okay, Frank Stallone. You'd think he'd be like the tough guy from the city, right? Yeah. He was the first guy eliminated. Because ah. the second he took that first bump, we call it, not bump like we know it, boss. But wrestling bump. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, couldn't help. <laughs> he uh, he was out. He he, he couldn't hang. And uh, Bean was not only only sucked it up and were tough about it. You got the performance aspects from day one. So like I said last week, you know, pro wrestling is a war where we decide who's going to win. The promoters decide that. So Dennis Rodman, God love him, quote unquote, won that show. But yeah. Bean by far was the best performer at. Uh, Celebrity Championship Wrestling. Is there a lot
2: of is there a lot of rehearsal that goes into that Butterbean? Is there a lot of a lot of rehearsal or is it just ad lib? Well, for that show, there's a lot of rehearsal. I mean, for
4: for the show, we were, it was something longer longer hours. We've had. So, I mean, we'd get there sometimes ten in the morning. We we'd shoot till two or three in the morning. Wow. Went back and do it again. It was six days for a while, and we went down to five. But it was it was pretty it was pretty hectic of a shoot.
0: That that was brutal. You know, Sean, like when a celebrity comes in to wrestle there has to be a lot of rehearsal because they haven't done it before. Right. So you have to literally spot out every single move, and it's a painstaking process. Guys like Kurt that have done it for years and are pros, they'll go into the, they'll go into the ring knowing the basic framework of their match, yeah. who's going to win, who's going to lose, how it's going to happen, and maybe how long the match is going to be. And beyond that, they, for the most part, they fill the crowd, mm-hmm. and they call, they, we call it, calling the match in the ring. So they'll stop. They'll tie up. They'll call out the next series of moves. They go, and that's how a match usually progresses with the the high level pros.
2: Crazy. Yeah. Oh, I could can see where those guys get injured with great frequency, having so many matches. Right? Like from one match to the no, next, right, it's bananas. You know, I
4: mean, they do three shows a week. I mean, every week they're every every week they're doing three at least three shows.
0: Mm. Well, it, you know. This might be more detailed than, than it's worth, but I know we have wrestling fans out there also. Uh, you know, when you take a, we call it taking a bump. That's a fall in pro wrestling. There's a whole set of terminology to pro wrestling. Taking a bump essentially means you are throwing your body onto a piece of wood. Now, yeah. who in their entire life does that even one time?
2: I've never now, done it before.
0: And, and people are like, oh, it's like a trampoline. Bullshit. It is not like a trampoline. It's like concrete. (laughs) Yeah, the ring has a little give to it, but it's wood. So you're landing on wood and you take 20, 30, 40 bumps in a match. And then you take, let's say, five nights a week, 12 months a year. So attrition. And then just one last thing you take a thing maybe called a back body drop. When you throw your opponent in the ropes, he.
1: (laughs) I know
2: exactly where he was going.
4: Some of the bumps go outside of the ring, too. They're on the concrete.
2: Bean, yep. has anyone ever picked you up, Bean, and thrown you down like a body slam? Has anyone done that to you? We tried with, with Mark Merrill, but it never happened. <laughs> how, was Mark, how big was Mark? Was he tall enough?
4: No, Mark Mark was just a small guy. You think JBL I mean, could have done it? I don't think I had enough experience on top of being 400 pounds, 360, 370 pounds, but I had Hogan over top of my head. I mean, it was like... It was like nothing to pick him up. And he's a big man. Yeah, you I pick mean, him up. Strong, but he's a big man. He's he's tough. <laughs> I mean, he was oh, so man, strong, but it made it so light.
3: So you picked Hulk Hogan up?
4: Yeah, I had Hogan over my head. He looks at me, and goes, "Bean brother,
2: don't don't slam him,
4: man."
3: <laughs> 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 he's having, he
4: having a lot of back problems, so no, I would never do that.
2: To we him. see, we seen yeah. uh, Hulk walking around. He's 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 looks like he's taking a few hits. He's battled, he, 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 knees he, he's back.
4: So talented, though. Yeah, I mean when he hits somebody, he may, it may he makes it look like he's actually ripping their head
3: off. Just yeah. so talented. Yeah, Shawn Michaels. I, they say he's like one of the best guys ever, right? John was. I worked with Shawn. I didn't work
4: work, but he he was wrestling the same time I was, and uh, he's a, he was amazing.
2: I watched you know, uh, I watched Stone Cold Steve Austin call Mike Tyson out. That was kind of cool. They were no, they were nose to nose in the ring, and Stone Cold, he was all up on Mike Tyson, <laughs> and pushed him yeah. to the ground. It was great.
1: <laughs>
2: what about? Yeah. Do you have? Did you have any encounters with Vince McMahon? Being? Yeah, I had a bunch.
4: I worked for Vince. You know, I worked for him several years. I mean, they got they were they call a rip when they they rip you in wrestling because they like to pick on you. I mean, it's yeah. like the thing. So. First time I worked with him, when I asked to, to talk, I had to work out the contract deal with Vince. So I asked some of the wrestlers where he was. Oh, he's down in this office down on the left. Just go on in. It's not. So me, I just go on in. Then knock up and just go on in. And him and Austin's going at it. And he's like, hey, Bean, I'll get with you in a minute. Just I'll, I'll meet you outside. So I think after that, me and him got a bond. It, we kind of got along really good. There's a lot of the guys wouldn't understand. Me and him would never do a show. We stand in our talk for 15, 20 minutes, mm. and we never did that with anybody. So it's like we had a good bond. I mean, it wasn't like I was sucking up to him. He wasn't sucking up to me. It's just a mutual thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, boss? Boss, what business. about you? Did, you? did you ever have any dealings with Dana White over there, or any of that kind of stuff? But, never had a problem.
3: Dana's always been very good for me. I, I just get a message from uh, the power went off from Rick, so we are going to wrap it up in a bit. But no, I never uh, had problems with uh, anybody. I have a really good relationship with him. You know, it's like uh, people say this and that, but about listen, I never had that problem. So, And he's a businessman. You know, yeah. it's like he talked to me. He said, um, I said, yeah, but they, they, I was interviewing him. I said, yeah, but they want more money. He goes, boss, do you want more money for your job that you're doing right now? And I go, yeah. He said, sure. Everybody wants more money for the job. They're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, smoking, so, that, that's smoking like a true boss right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hey, listen, man. It, it, they always talk about him. And, and uh, I would say if the Monk Rushmore of MMA, I, I might have said it's here also. The, he needs to be in there. And yeah. they go, oh, what the hell? I say, because he put it on the map. He made it in 2006 with the Ultimate Fighter, whatever the year it was. Yeah. It made it explode. And that's why everybody lost mixed martial arts. And uh, he deserves props for that.
2: Yeah, same as hey, with the
3: man. We got, who we got next week for a guest? Uh, then... Bilzerian, Ooh, oh, okay. No, did you ever? Did you? Uh, d- you gotta
2: Google this guy. I know who this he is. is. Crazy. Yeah, he's, uh, he's he's all of our heroes. I think he's got the
1: life. <laughs> he's, the new, he's the new Hugh Hefner, right? I mean, oh, he's any oh, guy's oh, guy. The guy. All right. Dude, it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh. Yeah, he
3: said that to me one time. Uh, yeah, Dan Bilzerian, you gotta check this guy out. He's hilarious. He's on yachts. He's on private planes, and he's yeah. gonna always loads of women around him and he's I, every I guy's he's
2: like, guy i think we all kind of watch him and live a little vicariously through him right everybody yeah. watch
3: him? you gotta
4: watch next week next wednesday same time guys all right
2: man it'll well, be let's, great let's wrap it up and thank kurt angle for coming in and, and checking in with us and uh we'll give uh rick another opportunity next week from maui he's he's calling on it like tin can and a a two-string, I think.
4: he <laughs> no, no now. He juiced it up so not with a nine-volt battery hooked for the can.
2: All right, guys. Well, we'll catch up with you next week. 7 o'clock, Wednesday. Ooh.
3: All there right. Godspeed. All Ooh, right. That's my MMA <laughs> pose.
0: See you guys. Take care,
3: everybody. Godspeed.
0: Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows.